Good morning again. Uh, if you would turn in your Bible to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to get there in a minute. Um, but before we get there, I want to just encourage you with something. Uh, you know, I've been talking to you about the resources in our library out in the hallway and uh, highlighting some of them. I want to highlight this one. This is one of my favorite newer books that is out. If you're a parent or a grandparent, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, you may not know it, but God expects you to disciple your children and grandchildren. Okay? And, and to help them to understand who He is and what He is like and what the Bible means and this kind of thing. And this is my favorite kind of book. Okay? It's a picture book. All right? <laughs> and you can read it to your children and grandchildren, and it's called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. Right? Takes you from all the way in Genesis chapter 1, all the way to Revelation uh, chapter 22, in about, I don't know, 50 pages with full-color illustrations and not very many words. And it's brilliant. And if you want to know the whole story of the Bible in a, a children's picture book, this is a, a phenomenal one. And uh, I've read it actually at Awana. Um, as a speaker at Awana, I just read a, a chapter a week and just walked them through the whole thing. And it's marvelous. And so uh, it's in our parenting section in the library if you want to check that out. Uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Okay, And some of you who are like, I don't think I could handle one of those theology books. It's about four inches thick that are out there on the shelf. You can handle this. This is good. And it is, uh, it's, it's not only very basic, but it's very clear on what the gospel is and how the Bible tells one story of how God loved His people, how they fell into sin, how God uh, redeemed them through Jesus Christ, and how He is restoring all things through Him. So, it's a great, great thing. Encourage you to take a look at it. Uh, it's a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Recently heard a true story about the Christian author and musician Andrew Peterson. He has uh, a lot of Christian music out, but he also has these series of books called the Wingfeather Saga. Uh, after a recent concert, he stood for a while and greeted fans. Uh, some, of the, some, of them, some of his fans are, are young kids who love these Wingfeather books. And... Uh, he happily signed his name in their copies. They wanted to meet the author and so forth. And so he wrote his name, and above his name, he wrote this inscription, which I'm told he writes in a lot of books. The stories are true. The stories are true. I'm told that it's something that he often writes because it reflects his belief that all good human stories about the conquest of evil are good and true reflections of God's image bearers telling in a faint way the greatest story. The one about the hero of all heroes who loved and pursued His bride across cosmic time and space and generations of history who entered into her world disguised as a peasant carpenter who loved his bride to the point of offering himself in self-sacrificial death to redeem her from slavery and then conquered death itself 
that he might take her home to his palace to live with her forever, happily ever after. Stop me if you've heard this story. Amen? This is the greatest story of all time. And all human stories that are good and that reflect the conquest of, of evil by good are just echoes and shadows of this one, the greatest story. The stories are true. And today we want to look at part of the story, the greatest story, about how Jesus, the conquering hero, gave gifts to his bride as he went home to make a place for her to live with him happily ever after. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verses 7 and following down through verse uh, 16, if you would. And if you would, please stand in honor of God's Word. And, and guys, can I get the lights up? It's, it's hard for me to see. Um, it is. I'm sorry. I'm old. Um, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You, in Your gracious goodness, gave us Christ who pursued us as a man who loves his bride and who gave gifts to us and is making a home for us. Father, help us to learn and to understand about these gifts and how we are to use them and how we are to grow up into maturity in Christ. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, what you see here in verses 7 through 11 is how Jesus, the conquering hero, gave us gifts of his triumphant love. And if you look back at verses 1 through 6 in this chapter, you'll see a call to gospel unity, empowered by the triune God, to a life of Jesus reflecting love for one another in relationship. The primary focus of what's going on in verses 1-6 to is our relationships with each other. That God's love ought to be reflected in our love, how we treat each other. That God's love is not just some high ethereal theological concept 
is something that is lived out. We put, we put tennis shoes on it and live it out in relationship with each other. And um, you might be wondering at the end of that, those first six verses, well, that sounds great. How do we do that? And I have very good news for you. God always graciously supplies the ability to do the things that He requires of us. You ever see or read uh, the, the book or the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay, you remember that Father Christmas has been away for a hundred years. A hundred years. It's been always winter under the reign of the White Witch and never Christmas. Amen? Seen this story. Do you remember what Father Christmas does? He shows up and he gives to the children gifts appropriate to their needs that equip them for the battle ahead. And Jesus has done exactly that same thing. That as He ascended, He distributed gifts to His church that equipped them for what He calls them to do. That equip us for the battle ahead because it is not easy to live out the Gospel call to unity and love within the, even the body of Christ. Verse 8 is where we get the idea of Jesus as the conquering hero. Uh, it's set off in my Bible and probably in yours too as a quotation, but it's really more of a summary of Psalm chapter 68. Uh, Psalm 68 depicts God as a mighty warrior and a great king. And this quotation, this allusion, borrows some of that Psalm's language. And it's there to tell us two important things. Because remember, it, the psalm speaks of God over and over and over and over. And Paul says that it's about Jesus. So that tells you something. Jesus is God. Very important for you to know that, right? It's, he's not just simply a man. That He is God. He is the Son of God. And what Psalm 68 says about God applies equally to Jesus Christ. And also, number two, that where Psalm 68 speaks of God's ascension on high, we're to read that specifically and prophetically about Jesus and His ascension into heaven and the gifts that He gave uh, are the result of His ascension to rule and authority on high in heaven. Now, uh, if you look at verses 9 and 10 in my Bible, they're actually in parentheses. Uh, your Bible might not have them set off quite that way, but they're, what they are is a parenthetical aside explaining how Jesus became the conquering hero. And Paul points out the idea of Jesus ascending implies that He descended. Well, when did that happen? In His incarnation. That's a theological word that means in His enfleshment if you will, okay? You ever ate chili con carne? Chili with meat, right? I didn't know it came another way, right? What would be the point of that, right? But um, his incarnation, right? It's like a donut made without sugar, right? What would you want one of those for? Um, but in any case, uh, Jesus' incarnation in his taking on Humanity, He descends. 
the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on full humanity as well. He was and He is God. And as, uh, as He took on humanity, He gave up His divine position and His authority and His rule uh, over creation to become a servant among us. Humbling Himself far more than we can imagine. In fact, verse 9 talks about how His descent went further than just to the earth itself, but also descended into the earth. What's that about? Well, that's about His death and His burial in a tomb. Jesus descended from heaven to earth and then descended as Philippians 2 reminds us even to death, even death on a cross like a lowly slave. If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. Did you know that? It was against the law. It was considered too humiliating of a death. But if you were a slave, they could hang you on a cross. Jesus dies like a slave. He was buried in the earth after His death. But from there, as verse 10 says, He ascended far above the heavens. In other words, far above the stars in our visible universe. How far out do they go? No one really knows. We think we can, with our farthest telescopes, see beyond that. But the idea is, is that Jesus ascended above the heavens back into His position of rule over all things in all creation. And the point is this, that Jesus descended into our world becoming a human and dying for sin and being buried might seem like Jesus' defeat. But it was actually His triumphant conquest over sin and even death itself. He conquered them both. How do we know? Because He did not stay in the grave. And He was not only raised, He ascended above all the heavens to the throne of God Himself from which He rules and from which He gave us gifts to equip and empower us by the Spirit to live as His loving and unified people. Verse 11 tells us something about the gifts that He gave. And interestingly, here in this passage, unlike passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that emphasize the abilities, this is about the people. What you see is four different kinds of people who are themselves the gifts given by Christ to us. The body of Christ. Do you see that? The text doesn't say that Jesus gave gifts of apostleship and prophecy and so forth. It says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Uh, the word shepherd, by the way, is the same word from which we get our English word pastor. 
These people are the gifts to the church that are highlighted here. And their ministry is the gift to the church. So the apostles and the prophets declared God's Word. Evangelists spread the Gospel and led people to Christ. And pastors shepherd their people by teaching them what God's Word says and how to live it out. And if you look at verses 12-16, to what you see is that these gifts, all these people whom Jesus has given to the church as He ascended into heaven as victor over sin and death are given for a purpose. Do you see that? What's the purpose? To equip us who are part of the body of Christ for ministry and loving Jesus-like maturity. You have, the church has been gifted that it might grow up. That we've received these gifts from Jesus not simply that we might be benefited by them, but that we might grow to maturity. Verse 12 is pretty state, straightforward here. It's a very succinct statement of the goal Jesus has in giving these people to the, to the church. You see it? To equip the saints to do the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And some important ideas here uh, I want to highlight. First, the purpose is to equip the saints to do the ministry. Uh, these people who are given as gifts are not the ministers at least not primarily. Rick Rosetto uh, uh, used to do this, and I loved it when he did. He would, he would stand up in front of church. Y'all remember this? Some of you do. And he would say, how many ministers have we got here today? Right? So I'm going to ask. How many ministers have we got here today? If you are here and you're a believer in Jesus, your hand should be in the air right now. Because it is not the guy who bears the title reverend on his office door that is the minister in this church. Amen? The ministers, plural, are all of the people of God who belong to the body of Christ. Of which the pastor is one. Not the one just one of a whole body of people. Uh, second, the ministers are the people. They are called the saints. Do you see that? The word saints uh, is related very closely to the word holy. God's holy people. I had somebody tell me last week they'd never been called a saint before, but that's what all of us are. We are saints. We are God's holy people. Uh, we are not holy in ourselves. We are made holy by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. And the idea is that equipping for ministry is that the body of Christ, that is all of us, would build up one another and grow as a result. Not get more numerous merely, although more numerous is always nice, but that we would grow up to maturity. We would experience spiritual growth. And verse 13 tells us what spiritual growth looks like. It includes three things. First one is the unity of the faith. Do you see that? What's the unity of the faith? Well, the unity of the faith is what he was talking about in the first six verses of this chapter, what we looked at last week. Things like humility and patience and gentleness and love. That these kinds of things 
uh, foster and build the unity of the faith. Uh, the second thing he talks about here is the knowledge of the Son of God. That you understand more and more who Jesus is and you become more and more like Him. Mature manhood. Do you see that? To the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. You know, we used to have in our house a wall uh, right next to the door to our basement that had markings on it. Any of you all have this? It had little lines, and we'd take a book, and we'd, we'd draw a little line, and we'd put the initials and the date for the kid. And we were all, they were all checking to see if they had attained to the measure of the stature yet, right? And the, the, the goal that my boys are shooting for to this day, I think, is six foot tall. They were, they were both uh, feeling pretty, pretty, pretty stout when they passed up dad, right? And I was like, hey, you all are you know, excited to be taller than me. I'm just glad the curse is lifted. I'm the tallest person. Uh, I'm the tallest male horn that has ever existed, okay? We're, from, we're hobbit people, <laughs> right? So, so, hey, you got taller than me. Praise God. Glory, you know? Um, but you have this line, right? Well, what's the line for us in spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, that we measure up to how tall Jesus is, right? That we attain to His height. That we that God's how that's how God's growth chart is marked is against Jesus as the standard. How do you how do you do that? How do you get that big? Well, you need these gifts. And verse fourteen tells us what happens as we grow. That we grow out of spiritual childhood, where every new Christian sounding idea. Blows us around and tosses us around like a boat without a rudder or sails or anchor in a storm. When we're young Christians, we can get easily deceived. We can get easily deceived. But the gifts of the apostle, the prophets, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher are given to us so that we can grow up. So that we won't be tossed around by cunning and deceitful ideas that sound good and are meant to gain a following for their proponent, but damage God's people and stunt their growth. Verse 15 tells us what should happen instead of that as we mature, that we grow up. How do we grow up? What's it say? By speaking the truth to one another in love. Now, this isn't primarily the idea of confronting one another, although it sometimes includes that, but the idea of repeating and explaining and applying the teaching that has been given to us by the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. That is speaking the truth and love to each other. And verse 16 carries with it the idea of growing into maturity further, reminding us that Jesus, as the head, makes the body of Christ grow. Do you notice that? That He is the one doing the work? That He is making us grow? As each part of the body is working properly so that, we, so that it builds itself up 
and grows up in love. Now, before we move to application, I want to focus on some important concepts here. First, there's the concept of joints in that verse. Do you see that? What's a joint? A joint in your body is a place where two parts of the body come together, right? It's a relationship between two parts of the body. Uh, our connection with each other is meant, like joints, to help the body move, to accomplish something, to do something. Our connection with each other is meant to help us move and accomplish God's will together. But that only happens, according to the text, when each part of the body is working properly. Uh, most of you know I turned 48 the other day. Most of the parts of my body uh, are still working properly, but some of them hurt now when they work. And that's when they work, right? Uh, it's not usually if, but you know, when they work, some of them hurt. They aren't quite working properly. I am slower and more fragile than I was at 18. True story, right? I can still do all the same things I did then, but I am slower and more, more easily hurt by doing them, right? You don't bounce back the way you did. But the idea of Christian maturity is the opposite of bodily aging. As we grow more mature in Christ, we start working better rather than worse. But that requires all of us growing up for the body as of Christ as a whole to be growing up. So there are no slackers, no casual Christians, no non-functional parts of the body. And finally, notice the means of maturity. How does Christ build up His body? He makes it grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, love for God resulting in love, resulting from God's love for us is not only the motive for our maturity, it's also the end result of our maturity. We grow up as we grow in our love for each other. Now that brings us to application. How do we respond? The truth is, is that Jesus gave us the gifts of His triumphant love and He secured them in order to help us grow up to maturity in, in how we love each other. Let me ask you very simple questions. Are you growing up? How do I know? Are you growing in love for your brothers and sisters? Are you growing in love for Jesus? Are you still easily swayed by every Christian sounding idea that comes down the pipe? Or have you developed discernment? These are markers of maturity that we ought to be seeing. Are you serving in ministry? If you're not serving, you're, not, you're a non-functional body part. 
That should not be. Right? We should be increasingly characterized by the unity of the faith that produces things like gentleness and humility and patience and love. Maturity looks like the knowledge of the Son of God such that we know and love Jesus more and more. That our character, who we are when nobody is looking, should be looking more and more like the Savior. Amen? Do you speak the truth in love to each other? Do you encourage each other in love? And are you shaped by God's Word? And eager to be shaped by it when it comes to you? Are you hungry to be taught? Are you hungry to learn? Are you hungry to be shaped by God's Word? Do you love other people by sharing the Word with them as it applies to their life? Now, these are tough questions, but I'm asking in my role as shepherd because I want all of us to experience how Jesus loves us. And I want all of us to grow to maturity together, to resembling Him who loves us and who saved us and who is one day coming as our conquering hero to take us home are happily ever after. Amen. Let's pray. And then let's continue in worship. God, our Heavenly Father, again, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the gifts that You gave to us. That You gave the apostles and prophets who wrote the Word of God to us. You gave us the evangelists who proclaimed the Gospel and caused it to spread and to grow. And You give us, even down to this very day, shepherds, and teachers to guide Your people and to help them as members of Your body to be led to look more like Jesus. Father, I pray that that would be the outcome of our lives. So that at the end of the day, that we would not be blown and tossed by the wind, but that we would look like Jesus in maturity and full stature, looking like Jesus. In every way. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hold your stand.